0: Welcome to The Brain Trust, a physician's guide to diagnosing Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, brought to you from the Illinois Academy of Family Physicians. I'm Dr. Kate Rowland, family physician, member of the IAFP and faculty at Rush University. Funding for this podcast series was provided by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health. The goal of The Brain Trust and this podcast series is to educate and empower the primary care clinician in the early detection, diagnosis, and management of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Clinical resources, free CME, and other educational materials are available online at thebraintrustproject.com. CME credit is available for each podcast. The Illinois Academy of Family Physicians is accredited by the Accreditation Council of Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. Information on how to receive credit can be found on the Brain Trust Project website. Thank you for joining us as we empower each other and provide training on the early detection of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And now, today's episode.
1: Hello, everybody. It's good to be back on the Brain Trust podcast series. Today, Dr. Yukesh Ranjit and I are co-moderating the ADRD Early Detection in Alzheimer's and Related Dementia. And we've got this really wonderful episode today about an important piece of how do we connect primary care doctors and their offices to community resources, especially community health workers to help in early detection of changes associated with Alzheimer's disease. Um, So our learning objectives today are gonna be to talk a little bit about the barriers that we have to address in our systems to better integrate community health workers into primary care practices to support early detection of Alzheimer's disease and related disorders. And then also try to think about ways that we can make that better by uh, talking with our colleagues today, Tracy Smith, who's the Director of Community Health and the Illinois Public Health Association Community Health Worker Capacity Building Center. And we're also uh, joined today, the first VP of the NAACP in Madison, Illinois, and Director of Health and Environmental Programs, Angelia Gower. So thank you, uh, Tracy and Angelia, for welcoming us to the IPHA uh, building, um, and we're really looking forward to having the conversation today.
2: Thank you. We're excited to have you here.
1: Oh, great. Um, hopefully everybody's refilled on their coffee and we're all set to have this really important conversation and keep everybody enthralled as our audience. Um, but I, I I think it's really important we just start out with the basics because sometimes when we say community health worker, it can mean a lot of different things to different people. Um uh, they've heard it in you know, different scenarios and settings, especially in primary care physicians and other staff members in their office. But maybe we can just start by, you know, how do we define a community health worker? And then what does that look like? You know, for the people that actually do that, how do they define themselves? Um, So maybe, Tracy, if we could start with you about just some of the definitions that people use commonly for community health workers, and then we can turn it over to Angelia about sort of the the -the on-the-ground definitions.
2: Thank you very much. One of the key things that we are trying to do as we're working on the community health worker profession across the state is to really Help individuals have the one definition that we would encourage you to use as you talk about community health workers. It comes from the American Public Health Association. And basically that definition is that community health workers are frontline public health workers who are trusted members of and or have an unusually close understanding of the community they serve. Their trusting relationship allows those CHWs to serve as liaisons, links, and intermediaries between health and social services and the community to facilitate access to services and improve the quality and cultural competence of service delivery. CHWs also build individual and community capacity by increasing health knowledge, self-sufficiency through a range of activities such as outreach, community education, education, informal counseling, social support, and advocacy. So as you can see, that American Public Health Association definition is is a very nice summary of the work that CHWs can do. It's a very evidence-based workforce having over 60 years of evidence in the United States, but centuries of evidence coming out from other countries and the utilization of CHWs in the world. And there are many titles that CHWs go by, from case manager to community health outreach worker to community outreach worker to community organization to health educator to health worker. And this is another area we are really trying to reinforce to please use the title community health worker. And then you can describe the finite activities that they do, such as community outreach worker as part of their role. But we Mm -hmm. really, as we're trying to, you know, organize this profession in the state, we really want to stick true to that definition and the title of community health worker.
1: Yeah, and it's pretty detailed and and covers a broad definitions of things. Uh, you know, one of the question I always kind of get is, are community health workers like licensed by the state? Is there any criteria around that?
2: So currently, nationally and in the state, there are no required certifications or licensures for CHWs. You have a number of states across the nation that have implemented certification for CHWs. We are right now at about 20 states and the District of Columbia that recognize CHWs professionally through certification. The state of Illinois, due to some legislation that passed a couple years ago, created the Community Health Workers Review Board, Mm -hmm. and that review board is responsible for developing the credentialing guidelines and the curriculum training guidelines required for CHWs in the state of Illinois. So we're hoping that in the next two to three years, we will have a state-identified, recognized CHW certification for community health workers. That they can be individuals who may not have a high school diploma or have a high school diploma. All the way, I have individuals who are community health workers who have their PhDs and their doctorates, often because this is the, the work they're doing is really community health work. And they're very interested in, in growing in, into that space. So we have a wider range of education.
1: Good to hear. And then I just wanted to get from Angelia a little bit of a sense from you, um, you know, as you have worked in this area and, and helped to lead other community health workers and your efforts and direction with a community based organization in Madison. What does it feel like to you as you have to explain to, to community you know, community members at churches about what community health workers do? How, how do you try to put it into words?
3: To make it real simple, uh, the words that I normally use is that we are advocates and trusted partners of the community, of the residents of our community that we're there to help them with any resources that they're looking for and actually help to improve the health and communication that they have with their physicians and any other organizations within the
1: community. Oh, terrific. And and I'm just curious, like, uh, what drives people to do become community health workers? Because, you know, as, as Tracy was saying, there's just such a wide range, right, of individuals and it's a very diverse group that are all connected or feel resonance with this role of being involved as a community health worker. What are some of the biggest joys that people get in working as a community health worker?
3: Uh, Some of the biggest joys and um, the question was what drives us? And so what drives us is actually wanting to see the community in a better state, wanting to their health better and to see their health improve. The other thing that drives us is when we see a lack of health in the community as a whole, wanting to be their advocate and talk and speak to other ones that can actually help them. And get them the help that they need. You see a lot of people that don't go to their doctors, a lot of people that have dementia and Alzheimer's that just doesn't seek that help. So that's what drives us is getting them the help that they need and then seeing them along with their families starting to enjoy life more than what they were enjoying it at first.
1: Yeah, that's great. As far as being the glue that holds communities together and really advances sort of community health uh, and and brings it to become more equitable um, so that people can all experience the optimal health possible and uh, reduce some of these barriers we face. And and then, Tracy, just a little bit maybe about some of the training that's going on, you know, because uh, IPHA and some of your title also is running a center around community health workers and their training and growth. So what are the sort of models that exist right now for community health workers uh, to be trained, to be involved and engage in sort of health and delivery of health in Illinois?
2: So, yeah, there is a few different ways that community health workers can be trained in the state of Illinois. When we think about the Chicago area, they have a training infrastructure that is, is highly through their community colleges and then Sinai Urban Health Institute. When we look at Central and Southern Illinois, we really have three main sites of training CHWs through Illinois Public Health Association, through SIU School of Medicine, and through the Shawnee Health System. And then we have apprenticeships. And currently there's two registered apprenticeships in Illinois at Shawnee and Malcolm X. And really there's three now. A third one was just added through the Hospice and Palliative Care Association that IPHA is a partner with. So Training can range anywhere from a 40-hour intensive training to a two-semester college certificate training program, and you'll have it all across the board there. And this is one of the things that that Community Health Worker Review Board is working on is is really laying that out, but all training programs are Required to meet the 13 core competencies that have been laid out by the National Association of Community Health Workers for training, and those range, um, those core competencies range from advocacy to navigation to trauma informed care approaches. So there's there's 13 core competencies that the training programs that we have in the state are supposed to meet. Now, the hours and how that's set up and if that's hybrid or in-person completely or completely online varies, but there's always also a point of learning on the job that's involved in that. And some of that is through apprenticeships, some of that's through field placements. And then like our program at IPHA is about a 60-hour training program Mm. that utilizes community health workers that are work-based so they've already been hired into their jobs and then we're training them why they're on the job. So there's a lot of variation in there, but there are also some key components that stay structured among the training programs.
1: Yeah. And just hearing your statements about the competencies nationally, I mean, they're pretty agnostic to disease conditions, right? They're about just sort of general connector advocacy type roles And so it just makes me curious about sort of, you know, you mentioned like some of the work you've been doing in the palliative care side, where it may be a little bit more specialized, even though it has some of those competencies. How has that been going with, you know, a public health condition like Alzheimer's disease? Was that included in the 13 competencies or is that been something that's been added more recently as we've realized the public health importance of Alzheimer's disease, Uh, you know, early diagnosed Detection and diagnosis, treatment, and care across a continuum. So, I was just kind of curious how some of the training about Alzheimer's disease is mixed in.
2: Yeah. So, there is a general training of CHW, which you like, like you said, is not about a specific disease process. It's more of an overall general understanding of navigation, healthcare services, advocacy, et cetera. And then you can move into what we term upskilling. And what upskilling for CHWs is to move into some kind of disease-specific further training or, you know, like another specific, there's like other specific topics, but this is where you get specificity of components. And so, for example, Alzheimer's navigation training is an example of that. So what we have been able to do at Illinois Public Health Association is, in conjunction with the Alzheimer's Association, Offer community health workers an upskilling opportunity to advance their skills in Alzheimer's navigation. And that training is approximately a 20 to 24 hour upskilling training that covers topics from the warning signs to advancing the science through managing money, helping caregivers manage money. And so what we have been able to do, and this is why Alzheimer's became one of those upscaling opportunities, is when we look at the data, it tells us there is a need for community health workers to assist in helping to identify individuals who may potentially be at risk for Alzheimer's and have Alzheimer's in the community and helping them to navigate and connect with those providers then that can help diagnose and give the treatments.
1: That's terrific. And I'll turn it now to Yukesh to just kind of talk us through a little bit about sort of how, how this is sort of working in Illinois with the various communities and the working with community health workers and Alzheimer's and dementia.
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Raj. Uh, Tracy, one uh, of the questions that I actually wanted to ask You know, from uh, my perspective as a primary care provider is if there is any specific tools that you'd use, you know, for a detection of Alzheimer's, anything you use in particular in the field?
2: One of the things we've been training the community health workers around is utilizing the AD8 tool. You know, the AD8 Dementia Screening Interview tool has those eight questions that are in there. And it's a tool that CHWs can utilize to start the conversation. So we've trained them on that tool and how to use that as a starting space for conversation And that is something that we're continuing to to utilize and to grow. And then they can also provide that information back to the providers as they're helping to make those connections.
4: That's really good to learn. My next question is for both uh, Tracy and and Julia. Actually, we learned about uh, the fact that CHWs are training throughout the state. Are they working throughout the state or are there any like uh, places that are deserts where we do not have enough CHWs?
2: So Across the state, one of the the things without having a registry and a certification of CHWs is we don't know where every CHW is in the state. But currently, we are working with a group of community-based organizations and local health departments that reach different populations, populations from Black Americans to Hispanic to Asian Americans to individuals living in rural areas that are in this space of the ADRD area. We have Adams County Health Department we work with. We work with the NAACP where Angelia is from. We work with the Madison NAACP, like I said. So we have a number of community-based organizations that have had CHWs trained in this space. Now across the state in general, there are CHWs in every region (laughs) When we looked at the COVID-19 regions, there were CHWs trained within every single COVID-19 region, and there were 10 regions within the state. Now, that does not mean, therefore, since we have 102 counties, that there is a CHW in every county. It varies depending upon the population, the needs in the area, etc. But we have five different counties that have CHWs programming trained in them, and
3: that number is continuing
4: to grow. Uh, anything that you'd like to add, Angelia?
3: Not necessarily to that question, That you know, we cover, like in my area, we cover a lot of cities. So I just don't cover Madison. I cover Madison, Granite City, Venice and Brooklyn. And then when we're called into other cities that do not have a a C-H-W to help educate them as well.
4: Tell us a little bit more about your community, Angelica, and uh, what's the landscape like there? What's the prevalence of Alzheimer's and what kind of uh, patients do you serve there?
3: So in in our community, Madison, Bendis, Brooklyn is probably 95% African-American or Black, poverty-driven, a lot of poverty, uh, a lot of, there is not a lot of positions in that area. You have to go outside of the area to actually seek treatment for anything to seek treatment. There's not a doctor in those cities. The area that I'm in, also, we have a lot of elderly population because a lot of people my age and younger have moved away. So they're there to kind of fend for themselves and don't, didn't have those resources. And when we created this program, it brought those resources back. Uh, we do not have a lot of connections with the positions in the area, and that that's one of the things that we're working.
4: That seems to be a problem that a lot of communities, and especially in Central and Southern Illinois, a lot of us face uh, similar issues. Any, any tips or any tools that uh, either of you would like to share to overcome some of these barriers?
3: One of the tips that we have taken on, which was one of our barriers, was to start connecting outside of our community. Uh, one, we connected with the Alzheimer's Association. We have connected with Washington University. And then I do a little bit of work with uh, Rush as well. Connecting with them to bring those resources within our community for early detection and also for research as well. That That's some of the uh, our barriers. How do we connect with other physicians? I'm I'm really looking for others to help us with that because that's one of our biggest barriers is connecting with physicians that that are in these offices uh, to help with the early detection and then to help us to help them getting patients to their appointments, uh, making sure that they're taking their medication or, or having other type of resources that we have available. So that that that's like the thousand dollar question. And so
2: this is exactly where IPHA and our capacity building center comes in. Our first rounds of funding were all about training. And so we've we've worked with these sites, we've trained them up to have CHWs that are knowledgeable and have great partner relationships. Our second phase of our efforts are to connect those CHWs now to primary care offices. So there's a lot of work going on in this space. And we have a couple support spaces that primary care providers who are listening to this podcast could go to 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 find out more information or to reach out to us to to be connected to those CHWs in your area. And the first of those is we have a website that if you drop us an email at chwsupport.com, at IPHA.com. We will reach back out to you and have some conversations with you about how we can connect you. And then we also have a website called helpguidethrive.org that can be a, a source where you can get to different information about how to integrate CHWs into your program and, and find out more about what's happening in the CHW world themselves itself.
1: Yeah, that's great because i think we can add that onto you know as resources onto the brain trust website so that that can be available and i think I'd, i have questions based on the conversation that both you know angelia and tracy brought on as far as one of the barriers is like hey we're going out there we're talking with community members we're trained we're asking them this ad8 scale and they're mentioning they're having troubles and and we're we're wanting to make better connections with primary care physicians so that they can get to the next step of their, you know, eng- engagement and valuation. And then you, Kish, and sort of your work in sort of primary care and geriatrics and you know, overseeing some of those aspects in SIU and Springfield and Carbondale, you know, on the other side, the receiving side of working with community health workers. I'm just curious if either of you have some like positive stories about where this has actually worked. Where has it been, say, like the community health worker has done the AD8? has gotten the scale, has given that to the patient or, you know, share that with the patient. And the doctor, primary doctor said, oh, this is great. You know, this gives me an opening too to start talking about this and doing the next step. So I was just curious if you, Kesha and Angelia, if you wanted to share something that maybe has worked for either of you in this space.
3: I can share a, a, a story where when we first started this last year, we did a 88 at a health fair uh, that we were having. The person that actually took the, the the screening was actually my aunt, and I was using her as, as a test subject so just to see how easy it would be for someone else. Actually, we we contacted her primary care physician after her test just because of how she answered the questions. Uh, we actually got her in to see a specialist as well, and and she was in denial for for probably about a good six months. We had her to start coming down to our meetings. We meet once a month or we have someone from the Alzheimer's Association come down and give presentations. And she started learning a lot about it. I can say that today is helping her a lot with her memory. She's actually a big advocate of ours on getting others down to our center so we can help them as well. She is actually a social worker. And so she has started referring people to us to come down for either our support group or the screening to get them referred out to primary care physicians because a lot of the people that she see do not have primary care physicians. They've been in a hospital and they come out and they don't have anybody else to do their follow-up though. So it's it's a really good thing.
1: Yeah, that's great. And then Yukesh, did you want to add anything from the primary care side working with community health workers and kind of how that feels? Yeah, absolutely it's it's
4: phenomenal uh, we get a lot of referrals uh, from community health workers from the screening that they do in health fairs and you know other public events uh, they have always been very helpful The other thing that has been helpful is especially outside of greater chicago area down in springfield and carbondale We don't have a proper directory of resources, even if the directory of resources is created, it might not be updated in a timely manner. Some of the businesses, you know, they shut down. Some of the facilities, you know, that they're open and they're not added to the directory. So having a live person, you know, who knows the community is always very helpful, basically. So that way that we can just refer patients to community health workers and have been
1: of immense help to us, both in Central and Southern Illinois yeah and with the you know the time we have left to kind of wrap up our session today, I was just you you were broaching some of these issues about sometimes how this relationship between the community health workers and primary care offices may be very contextual right depending on where you're at in the state if you're in a rural area versus an urban area there might be similar issues to deal with but there might be also unique issues to deal with and and i I know that people will be you know listening to our our talk in, in primary care and be like, wow, you know these resources could actually exist around us to have these community health workers connect with us and we don't have to feel so alone in like trying to find the directory and making the connections if we can find the person who knows the skills I think Tracy and Angelia, any any scenarios like what we could do to help make the connection. I think Tracy, you were mentioning like on your website, just knowing where community health workers are trained in Alzheimer's disease could be really helpful for the you know community of primary care physicians to also know, like, oh, I'm working in Springfield. Oh, there is this person or group that's doing this AD. And how can we meet and have lunch or something like that and talk about our needs? So what what do you think? Are there ways we can make those connections happen?
2: Yeah. And and definitely, I think the best way is, again, to reach out to us at those linkages, that those sites that we gave to you. And we will follow up with you. That's the specific work that we're doing at IPHA. As we've seen the Department of Labor recognize community health workers now at, in their different professions, this will only continue to grow. So please reach out and we are happy to help connect everyone.
1: Yeah, and Tracy and Angelia, thanks so much for allowing uh, you, Kish, and I to spend some time with you and on the podcast and sharing all this great information and resources. And we really appreciate this opportunity. So that will end our uh, podcast for this session of The Brain Trust, uh, really engaging one about how we can do better at connecting with our communities and especially community health workers and primary care. And uh, until next time, uh, just wish everybody uh, enjoys the program and learns from these resources. And we hope we can see more stories of connections happening between community health workers and primary care, family physician and other offices in the state. That would really help our communities to do better with Alzheimer's early detection and uh, eventual diagnosis and building that ecosystem that we all want and desire. So thanks again, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time.
0: Thank you to our expert faculty and to you, our listeners, for tuning into this episode. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for future topics, please contact us at podcast at For more episodes of The Brain Trust, please visit our website, thebraintrustproject.com. You'll find transcripts, speaker disclosures, instructions to claim CME credit, and other Alzheimer's resources as well. Subscribe to this podcast series on Healthcare Now Radio, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you tune in to the next episode of The Brain Trust.